So the reading this morning is taken from Luke 10, verses 1 to 24. Luke 10, 1 to 24, Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for Steve. Father God, thank you for the preparation that Steve has done for today. We ask that you will bless the words that he speaks 
and that you will bless our ears and our hearts to receive those words. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Alison. Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you, and a great occasion as um, we baptize Laura. We thought we'd do uh, the baptism, the actual baptism, after I've spoken to you, because really it's, uh, it's an illustration of everything that I'm talking about, because Jesus is talking here about sending out his disciples to make more disciples uh, and baptize them. Uh, so this sermon comes as part of a series. We're looking at these chapters in Luke going up to Easter, and these chapters are the journey that Jesus takes to Jerusalem. In chapter 9, the previous chapter, Jesus prophesies that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be uh, uh, crucified, and then he's going to rise again. And uh, in verse 51 of chapter 9, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he invites his disciples to follow him. There's a cost to following Jesus. He is moving towards the cross, but he's also moving towards resurrection. And for us as a church, this particular passage is very appropriate, just coming a fortnight after our church weekend away, uh, where God spoke to us very powerfully about, uh, about our mission. And uh, a number of you have been sending me emails just saying what God has particularly been, particularly been saying to you. Thank you. It's not too late to do that. If you want to do that, that'd be great. Uh, and Lisa, who's sitting over there, wrote this to me. On the Sunday afternoon, God gave me a picture. The picture was of a cross in which the four ends of the arms were representative of the four points of a compass. What I think God was saying is that St. Nick's, with the cross as its center, should be spreading the good news and love of Christ all across the city to the north, south, east, and west. I also sense that God was reinforcing the unique geographical location of the church, whereby it is perfectly placed to do this. So this is what God has been saying to us. It's about uh, reaching out north, south, east, and west, making more disciples. So Jesus here is sending out 72, or is it 70? In the previous chapter, he sent out 12, and uh, our translations tend to vary. Some say it's 72. Well, that's a multiple of 12. That's multiplication, isn't it? Uh, some people, some uh, versions say it's 70. 70 was a very significant number for uh, the Jewish people of Jesus' day. They reckoned there were 70 Gentile nations. So it's as though Jesus is sending out one to every nation. Uh, there were 70 members of the Sanhedrin and so on. But whatever the significance of the number, it really is about multiplication. It's about growing more people to be sent, as Jesus says, into the harvest. Let's turn it on. There we go. And Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As he looks at his society, he recognizes a readiness in people to respond to the good news. Now, I just wonder whether you sense the same. When you look out at society today, do you think, yes, there are thousands of people just waiting to hear about Jesus? Or do you, uh, do you question that? Well, I believe that Jesus says these words to us today. 
The harvest is plentiful. So during the week, I had an opportunity to spend an hour just prayer walking around the city, and I was, I was asking God this question. Really? Is the harvest plentiful? Do you really need all these workers? Where is the harvest? And I wandered down to Hockley, uh, Hockley being the place really where uh, we see, I guess, our culture, uh, the forefront of our culture. And it's an area where, um, it's an ex- a vibrant, exciting area. It's also an area where you sense anyone can choose to be whatever they want to be and who's to tell them otherwise and, and, and so on. It's, a, it's an interesting area. And I went into the Broadway cinema, which is our favorite cinema, and um, on the wall there, there were some cards which, on which people had written reviews of films. And I was looking at these cards, and, I, and one really stood out to me. And this is what the person wrote about the film. By the end, I was shaking. I'm still shaking. Immensely powerful, serenely sensual, and beautifully touching. Indeed, it did touch my soul. Or maybe I just need a hug. And when I read that, I thought, that's the harvest. That is the harvest. Because our society is full of people who are longing for their souls to be touched. And who are longing also for the warm embrace of love. That is the harvest field. It doesn't express itself in, please will you tell me about Jesus. But it's there. It's there all around us, and we have to believe that. The harvest is plentiful. We have to believe that Jesus is right. Uh, As many of you know, I uh, often go, uh, well, I go several times a year to Lorne Abbey to retreat there. And uh, again, um, I was praying there, um, I think it was last summer, and there's a house that I pass on the walk I do. And it has a really nice orchard. And these are trained trees on, on wires, you know, and uh, giving off, uh, producing lots of beautiful apples. But as I walk by, I notice that the apples had not been harvested. And they were all just falling on the ground and wasting. And that was quite a rebuke to me. To look, at, look out, there is the harvest. There is the harvest. We mustn't let it go to waste. Secondly, Jesus makes it clear that the harvest is both hard work and full of joy. If any of you have done any work on a farm in in harvest time, I've only done it once, uh, it is hard work. But it's also a great time as you're reaping what has been sown earlier. So Jesus says, ask the the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Now, since about the 1980s, with the research of John Finney, we have understood that most people come to faith in Jesus through a personal connection, either through a friendship or a family member. And I guess if we were to ask people, well, why wouldn't we do that? Just raise your hand if that's you. If you've come to faith in Jesus, either through a personal friendship or a member of the family. Okay, it's, it's an awful lot of us. Um, however, many of us find ourselves in situations where, where we have 
long-established friendships, family members that we've known all our lives, and as we look at them, we think, doesn't quite look like a harvest. Do you feel that? Many of us are in that situation, aren't we? And I think that Jesus speaks to that situation because basically he's saying, okay, you've got to go into the harvest then. You've got to go and find the harvest to be intentional. And when you go to find the harvest, your purpose is not to make more friendships. Actually, you go with a very distinct purpose. The good news is that Jesus' strategy does involve finding people who like you. But the purpose is to find people who want to know Jesus, who are spiritually hungry. I was encouraged by Daniel McGuinness's seminar um, when we were away at Swanwick about Paul's missionary journeys. He was asking the question, how did Paul decide where to go? So we read in the Acts of the Apostles that Paul and Barnabas were commissioned by the church of Antioch to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. Where do they go first? They first went to Cyprus. Now, how did that come about? Was that some divine revelation? Well, Daniel suggested they probably had a chat, and Barnabas said, well, my folk live on Cyprus. Why don't we go there? So they went to Barnabas's home, and they had a very successful mission in Cyprus, but there's no mention at all of any of Barnabas's family becoming Christians. So maybe it was just the base. So maybe we should just relax a little bit about those long-standing friendships and family members. You know, in my experience, I've seen quite a number of my friends come to faith after I've given up on them. <laughs> when I've just, I've just thought, oh, well, you know, I've tried, <laughs> and got on with the friendship, and they've, they've actually come to faith. Maybe we should just relax and look for the harvest. So as I was preparing, I was thinking about bees going around the garden looking for nectar. You know, if there's, if there's a flower where there's no nectar, they don't stay there. They move on, and they find the place to harvest. But harvest is not just hard work. It is also joy. Oh, by the way, did you notice Jesus pray, says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send in holidaymakers, no, not holidaymakers, to send in laborers, workers for the harvest. It's work. You have to be intentional about it. But it's also joy. The disciples return full of joy. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, thanks God that he's revealing himself to people. And in Psalm 126, it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And there's no greater joy than seeing someone come to know Jesus. So, it begins with prayer. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I've always felt this was a bit of a strange prayer um, because it's clear that the people he's talking to are going to be the ones who are going to be sent out into the harvest field. And uh, I think he's saying, look, you've got to see that there is a harvest. You've got to sense an urgency for the reaping. And you've got to pray and be prepared that you should be the answer to the, your prayers. Many of us are involved in city prayer here in the city as we unite across the churches and pray for our city around three things. Uh, Christ Church united, God's power released, and our city blessed. 
And uh, that's wonderful. But I've been convicted about praying for my neighbors. And at City Prayer, uh, Jane and I met another couple who lived not far from us. And we decided we would do a, the same thing, but in our neighborhood. So we meet once a month for an hour, and we pray around those th three things, that we should be united, that God's power should be released, and that our neighborhood should be blessed. And um, so we've been meeting, for, we've met three times so far. There are nine of us from five different churches, and we pray for our neighbors. But the, the thing is, I've noticed that it, I've got a bit more agitated about my neighbors and um, realized it's not enough to just pray for them. But it begins with the prayer. It starts with prayer. And Jesus has a clear strategy for the harvest. And this strategy in this chapter is clearly practiced by Jesus in his own ministry. If you look in the Acts of the Apostles, you see it practiced there. And I think it's something we can practice today. A clear strategy. Firstly, join with others. Don't go alone, but still go vulnerably. Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs. Now, a problem that many of us find is that we think we are the only Christian in someone's life. Yeah? And it's all on our shoulders. And I think it can make us a bit tense, and it can make us at times a bit unnatural as well as we try and share our faith. And Jesus sends his disciples out in pairs. So why not make your first prayer, where's the other Christian, Lord? Where's the other Christian? So I'm not alone. The other Christian in my office, in my street, in my staff, in my friendship group. Where is the other Christian? Don't go alone, but go vulnerably. Jesus says that he's sending out his uh, disciples like lambs among wolves. He says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. You're going vulnerably. Vulnerability really matters as we try and communicate our faith. My dear friend Allard was round on um, Tuesday night for, for, for tea. And uh, yesterday, his daughter got married. Big day for Allard, particularly because his wife died last October. So as we were having tea, he told me about going to buy his suit for the wedding. So he went to a shop in town here and uh, got his suit, and he was dithering over the tie. What tie should I wear? And the shop assistant said, oh, well, um, what's the mother of the bride wearing? And as soon as she said that, Alan just couldn't help himself. Tears came to his eyes, and, and the shop assistant started crying as well. And he started sharing what had happened, but how God had been so faithful to him, how he, how he was so aware of God's presence, and how God had worked in his family. And he started sharing his faith for an hour and a half. There weren't many customers, obviously, in that shop at that, at that time. But the point is this. It grew out of vulnerability. And uh, you think about Jesus. When he met that woman at the well in John chapter 4, 
he, he was in a vulnerable place. He was, he was tired. He was thirsty. The, their first interaction was him asking the woman for some water to drink. And I think that some of us who want to be going kind of with reinforced armor, you know, we've got all the answers. We are 100% prepared. But Jesus sends us in like lambs to wolves, vulnerably. That's how we go. So that's the first part. Oops, sorry. Thought about them. That's the first part of the strategy. Secondly, he, he, do you notice he says in verse 5, when you enter a house, and then in verse 8, when you enter a town. So th this is advice for two different kinds of situations. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So he's saying, look, this is about building those kind of personal relationships. Find somebody and bless them. Speak peace on them. And, and find a person who speaks peace to you. Look, we often talk about finding a person of peace. Someone who likes you. Someone who is there for you. Someone who responds to you with warmth. But for us, the commission is to go and speak peace to others. Now, I just love it here on a Wednesday morning when there's sparklers. Sparklers have been on a journey from very tentatively talking about Jesus to all the uh, parents and toddlers who cram into this building uh, to being a bit more bold. And uh, so on Wednesday, Richard, Rich got the microphone. Welcome, everybody, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> He's going for it. And, and he, just, he, just, he just speaks peace over them and blessing. And people respond. So, you know, in our conversations, in those kind of more personal conversations, do people think, oh, yeah, I like talking to Steve. He always speaks blessing on me. Is that how we come across? We've got blessing to give. We can speak from a generous heart to people. When you enter a house, do that. And then he says, when you enter a village... So this is about going into a kind of larger community. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to them, heal those who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So when you go into a community, go and heal. Um, we've been praying a lot for Burkina Faso recently. When I was out there four years ago, uh, I was with a, a, a team of guys who were doing mission work in Udaland in the north of Burkina Faso, and they were talking about their mission strategy. What should they do? How should they go to these villages? And one guy said, look, it's just obvious. We go to the village, we ask them to bring out all the people who are sick, we heal them, and then we tell them about Jesus. It's exactly what it says here. That's their mission strategy. Now, in, in our when we are part of a social group, a village, a town, as it were, we are to be the person who prays for healing. They may, you may be known first as that person who offers to pray for people to be healed before you're known as a Christian. 
it's very rare that people decline the offer to be prayed for when they're sick. Very, very rare. Go and, be, go and bring healing, Jesus says, as you go into that community. And notice he says also, eat whatever is put before you. And obviously when Luke was writing his gospel, um, you realize the gospels were written after the letters, don't you? Some of you don't. And when Luke was writing his gospel, this was a very, very live issue about, you know, as Christianity went into Gentile culture, what should you eat? And um, really, he, Jesus is saying words which are echoed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you. It's exactly the same phrase. Eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So what he's saying is, the point is about establishing relationship. It's not about your scruples. Obviously, there are limits. But it's not about your scruples. It's about establishing the relationship. I love the story of Pete Shaw, who's a curate at St. John's Bilbra. He was initially placed at Woolerton, and from Woolerton, he was going out to Bilbra to start um, building relationship for when he was going to go and revitalize the church there. And so he went to the local pub. And he was adopted by a group of older guys. And uh, they thought it was quite amusing having a, a vicar in their friendship group. And uh, they got to know him, and they invited him to go on a booze cruise to Spain. So he went. And some of those guys are the people of peace now in Bilbra. So let's not be prissy. Let's not be prissy. Let's not put our delicate consciences ahead of building relationship. Fourthly, you don't have to keep banging your head against a brick wall. Now, this is good news. You know, Jesus is saying, you know, when you've, you've tried to share your faith with somebody, they're not interested, fine. You can go to someone else. You don't have to stay in that situation banging your head against a brick wall. Maybe, you know, in our culture, probably we wouldn't wash the dust off our feet and say what, what I said here. But, you know, the principle is move on. Move on. I find this very liberating. You know, this is about us going to find, find the harvest. It's, it's going to find people who are receptive. And they're out there. They're people who are looking for their souls to be touched. And for a hug, go and find them. Finally, there are a number of reality checks uh, in this as Jesus uh, winds up these instructions to his disciples. First is this. A person's reaction is not necessarily about you. You know, but for some of us, it's a great big deal to share our faith. And then when someone's not interested, we take it so personally. <gasps> oh, I've shared my faith and they don't want to know. Well, Jesus, it's not necessarily about you. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. So 
Don't take it personally. Don't get hung up. Secondly, he says, success or otherwise is not necessarily the big issue. The important thing is that you are on heaven's electoral roll. Do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Keep coming back to that, to your identity. Just, just what Laura said earlier. To your identity, who you are in Christ. That's the thing that matters. Keep your security there. And finally, he says... There is something mysterious about this because it's to do with revelation. Verse 22, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who is the Son except the Father. No one knows who who the Father is except the Son and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There is something about revelation here. And um, you, like me, will know many people who understand Christianity but don't get it. And I think maybe particularly, you know, referring back to those relationships that we've had for a long time with, with friends and family, let's, we need to be praying for revelation, which is a supernatural thing. You know, very many of us, when we tell our testimony, we, we can see that we thought it was all us going along the road, my quest for truth or whatever, And then we look back and realize it was all God. So pray for revelation. Sometimes God reveals himself to those we would least expect. It's all about grace. Is that practical enough? Good. Quick summary. There is a harvest to be reaped. The harvest is both hard work and great joy. It begins with prayer. There's a clear strategy. Join with others. Don't go alone, but go vulnerably. In personal relationships, go and speak blessing and peace on people. In communities, be the person who prays for healing. You don't have to persist with people who are not interested. Keep it real. Remember that other people's reactions are not reactions to you necessarily. They're reactions to Jesus. And remember that what counts is not success, but your status as a citizen of heaven. And God is the one who will reveal. So pray to him. Let's do it. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and we receive from you this word that the harvest is plentiful. So keep opening our eyes, keep planting in us that prayer, keep making us willing to be the answer to that prayer, and show us, Lord, how to be a blessing to others, to find that person of peace, and to reap what you have sown. In Jesus' name, amen.